How do you hotwire a tank? You push the button. I'm Kevin Leeson. Porsche, making tanks so hot, they're on fire. I'm Martin Serlis. Looks like France has a concrete solution to the Libyan tank problem. I'm Joe Fulgham. Crocodiles, crabs, and rhinos. It's a menagerie of tanks. Today on Caustic Soda. A tank is a tracked armored fighting vehicle designed for frontline combat, which combines operational mobility, tactical offensive, and defensive capabilities. Firepower is normally provided by a large caliber main gun in a rotating turret and secondary machine guns, while heavy armor and all-terrain mobility provide protection for the tank and its crew, allowing it to perform all primary tasks of the armored troops on the battlefield. Our special guest is here in the studio, Yay. who you may remember from Space Warfare, Martin Cyrilus. Hello. Hey. Hi, Martin. Thanks for showing up. Ah. <laughs> Good one. I only predict another 57 tank puns before the end of this. So maybe you can tell us what the word origin of tank is. There's a few of them, but my favorite is that it's a code word because they had to put a big metal thing in a big box and ship it to the front and labeling it as tank meant it was possibly for carrying water Mm -hmm. or pooing in and bearing at the front, and the spies would not uh, think anything bad about it. Because what tanks, little word. Yeah, Yeah, you could load it onto a track, onto a train car, and drive it to the front. No harm could come of that, right? That's right. Yeah, so they they told everybody they were water tanks. Yep. For holding water that shoots you. Even apparently the people constructing them. Really? They thought that, yeah. I'm thinking the dude putting the big gears on the side, possibly. Well, then it okay. was a driving not, water might tank. Might have been a bit naive. <laughs> not, not everybody, <laughs> but uh, from what I've read, uh, workmen and possible spies were yeah. to be given the impression they were constructing mobile water tanks for the British Army. Now, yeah. do they know that they were possible spies, and that's why they told them that they were water tanks? And if so, why didn't they stop them from showing them anything if they were possible spies? Innocent until proven guilty, man. Yeah, Not in times of war, man. Go to Guantanamo. But the tank was primarily uh, for trench warfare when it was first made, is that? Yeah, to overrun, like, lines of barbed wire and stuff like that to, like, break through. And to fire artillery directly into trenches, right, as opposed to the arcing thing. Should we go through a, a brief history of the of the tank, then? All right, cool. cool. I like tank history. I think the very first kind of mention or thought of a tank that I found was Leonardo da Vinci drew a very tank-like picture, but that was about it. Mm. Didn't uh, call it a tank. Didn't have much detail on how it worked. Man with an idea in search of an engine. Yeah, yeah, mobility was definitely not part of his plan, right? He had no idea how to make it move. Same problem with his airplane. Right. (laughs) The first description of a tank-like vehicle was in H.G. Wells' short story, The Land Ironclads in Strand Magazine, which was December 1903. And then the first actual application of of a tank was... On uh, February 20th, 1915, the Landship Committee of the Admiralty was formed and told to create a tank. The landship committee? Yeah. I don't yep. like that. Why didn't they stick with landship? Well, that's why they changed to tanks, because originally it was like a landship project, and landship would have, um, would have given away maybe a little bit hey, too much. Hey, uh, stab yourself with something pointy and then yell into your pike microphone, landship, landship, landship coming, and then we'll all try and figure out what the hell you're talking about, <laughs> as opposed to, i.e., tank. <laughs> The first tank action was in at the Somme in August of 1916. Now, what's all this business about male and female tanks? <clears throat> they were Victorians and obsessed. That's <laughs> pretty much it. Females were, were anti-infantry 
right, males right. were artillery pieces. Wait, wait, so the females on. had the machine guns and well, mainly machine guns, and right. the and the males had right. the big cannon. So yeah. how did they describe them? They say, "Hey, that lady tank over there is going to take care of that infantry, and this boy tank is going to take care of those yeah. trenches." Just say that in a really snooty British accent. Uh, uh, luckily, that shortened up to anti-tank and uh, infantry support. Right. Once they got out of the infantry line. support, doesn't yeah. sound like a shortening. Um, but it's far more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Unlike early tank guns. So then there was, a, of course, the answer to the tank was the anti-tank weapons. Yeah. How did they develop and uh, what were they? In World War One, it was just generally a whole bunch of guys piling on you. Right. It was basically ant defense. Tanks didn't start requiring dedicated anti-tank defenses from infantry until they got faster, stronger, smarter, more powerful. And they started with rifles with very high penetration, high speed, because their targets had very tiny little armor. And as we discussed, if you put a little tiny thing through a hole in a tank going very fast, it bounces around inside and turns everyone into bloody jello. Oh, no. Yes. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound like any fun. Yes. So you don't really have to blow the tank up as much as you just have to puncture it. And kill the people, the yeah. drivers. Exactly. Yeah. Because the armor on early tanks was quite thin. light. Yeah, thin. Well, because their engines were crap. Therefore, you could only pile so many much armor onto it. Right. Uh, they were unclear on concepts like sloping. So, sloping of the armor? Which causes ricochets, which is good, right? Instead, as you right. see in a lot of the early pictures, that you're looking at a lot of straight barn wall tanks. with. Mm-hmm. And also, notice the very deadly dots you see all over them. Deadly uh, dots? Rivets. Right. Yes. Rivet is the worst thing you can have on a tank because if you have all those rivets on the outside, you have them on the inside. Right. So that means a high explosive shell hits the outside of the tank, doesn't puncture, but that shockwave comes in and all the rivets pop off at 600 miles an hour on the inside. Mm. Oh. Making super duper jello. That's like a, bit of a, a death projectile. Trap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounds like early submarines. Yeah. So as you head towards uh, World War II, they start welding them, and then they start casting them all in one piece, right? Like the turret is cast. Oh, wow. That's why the Sherman tank is all nice and roundy. But that sounds hard. It is hard, and that's why a super-industrialized nation like the States could pound out six million uh, Sherman tanks a second. And while if you A weld- second? Yes, it was amazing. <laughs> Don't you watch those old movies where they just sing and all the stuff comes off the... <laughs> there's, pretty much, there's pretty much a layer of tanks that we all live on. There's That's a right. Tank, the Earth is a tank landfill, yes. evidently. I can tell you, if you were in the German army at the time, you felt like they were making six million at the time. Because you'd do shit like, kill a Sherman tank, dudes would jump out, run back to the beach, jump in another one, drive it up and hassle you again in 15 minutes. Oh, that's just oh, like wow. Battlefield 1942. Exactly. <laughs> But well, the Sherman were, tank had much less uh, range and firepower than the German tanks in World War II. Oh, is that was, not correct? It was crap, right? It was but luckily there were so many of it, them? Yeah, so many of them, and you could fix them really easy. The thing about the German tanks, they were like Porsches, ironically, because partially designed by Porsche, mm-hmm. but, uh, and they acted like it. So if something went wrong with your Panther, it was stuck there for quite a while. Whereas with a Sherman tank... They were guys, more like the Volkswagen. Yeah, and more importantly, they were meant to be fixed by idiots, right? Like the design spec for the Sherman was, I've got a kid from Boise driving who used to drive a tractor on the farm. Mm. Make it so that if a bogey wheel falls off, he can go out and fix it himself. Designed by Americans for Americans. <laughs> and it worked, right? Because Man, the, you can't argue with the results. Yeah, because the Germans went with the super tanks, right? And their super mm. tanks were super awesome until they got swarmed by not as good tanks, or they caught fire, or various other things. If I learned anything from Heroclix, it's uh, 
that many not so powerful characters can quite easily take down one incredibly yeah. powerful okay. character. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's common wisdom now. It was different when I was a kid, but now people have come to see the thought that if the Germans had made a bunch of slightly less awesome tanks, but a zillion of them, they would have done better than their very few elite ones. It might have changed the course of the war. No, they still would have gotten smoked, but it would have lasted longer. I also learned a term called spalding. Yes. Which is similar to the rivet problem in which the paint on the inside of the of the tank, when it was hit on the outside, would flake and create razor-sharp shrapnel that would fly around the... Physics is a harsh mistress. Razor-sharp paint? Yep. Yeah. And it would hurt people? Yes. Well, picture picture that. How, how how deadly was this paint? Like, picture that thick paint you see in the old hospitals and stuff in the basement, right? That flakes off in those broad chunks, uh-huh. and then accelerate it. Really, it's not the paint is that hard, but when it's doing again, just short of the speed of sound. This is like that scene from that terrible movie Daredevil, where Bullseye whips all the stained glass at him. And in the early tanks, they all wore like leather coats and leather armor and chainmail over their face. Chainmail on their face? Yeah, that's for awesome. the very problem of the spalding. And- yep. And then they went on to cover their faces in anti-burn stuff a lot because then gasoline tanks going up became a problem. There's no D, Torn. Spalling. Spalling. Spalding would be the guys who make baseballs and uh, golf balls. Right. My mistake. But those hurt, too, if they go very fast. So. I must have misheard the word when I was watching Weaponology. Ooh, it's got ology on the end of it. Would it be safe to say that the most awesome tank battle in history was the Battle of Kursk? It would. It was pretty spectacular in sheer numbers. Yeah, right. And the Germans lost, so that's Let, also good. 863,303 casualties. What? In one battle? Yep. 6,064 tanks and assault guns were destroyed. 6,064 were destroyed? Yep. 1,626 aircraft and 5,244 guns. Yep. Casualties and losses. Second half of the Russian front. Basically, the Germans and the Russians maneuver for a throwdown to see who's going to go forward. Throwdown may be the understatement of the 20th century on that one. It also showed the failure of a couple of German designs in big fights. I mean, like, you have to call this at least a smackdown. It was pretty grim. It was pretty grim. The elephant went down hard in that fight. Which elephant? The German tank destroyer, also known as the Ferdinand, Ooh. which was a tank destroyer. Do you know, shall we discuss the difference between tank destroyers and tanks? Yes. Yes, yes please. There we go. So a tank, especially by this period in World War II, has the classic turret that spins around and shoot stuff. Right. All right, okay, yeah. Um, one that we've all seen, yes. one we're familiar with. And the gun is designed to both kill tanks and kill infantry and blow up buildings. High so explosive. High explosive. Right, large yeah. bore, right, that sort of thing. Um, the tank destroyer is a tank designed completely, as you might suspect, to destroy other tanks. How do they do that? So they do that by uh, giving it a very high-velocity gun, mostly armor-piercing shells, and rotating turrets are heavy. Right, the stuff that makes the, the gears and the pulleys and stuff sure. gives you a very heavy uh, power to weight ratio for the amount of gunnage you're getting in that turret. Gunnage, because it also has to be able to whip around. If you whip Correct. off all the turny, spinny stuff and put a much bigger gun and seal it in a giant box instead and weld it to the tank, you can put a much bigger gun on the same size tank and it weighs about the same. Okay, right, right. So it and, just basically, but then you have to turn your whole tank turn. around. Yes, you do, right? Which means tank destroyers tend to sit in gun emplacements or behind trees and fire at enemy tanks coming across at a long distance. Oh. Um, because they have better guns, right. so they can yeah, they exactly. outrange them. And oh. the Germans did this style, like the Jag Panther is a Panther tank with a turret ripped off and a heavier gun and a box put on top. 
They went totally freelance, though, with the elephant. That was pretty dedicated just to tank destroying. And at one point, guys were pouring cement on it to increase its armor capabilities. Who are these guys? German tankers, right? This is how big and how heavy that tank destroyer was. It was just like, well, what the hell? Let's pour another six inches of cement on top just for fun. <laughs> it was not fast. The gun was deadly. The armor was atrociously strong. Um, and, of course, designed by our friend, Dr. Ferdinand Porsche. 8.8 centimeter pack 43 slash 2 L71. Yeah. Also known as the Stuk 43 slash 1. Yeah. 65 tons. 8.8 centimeters. That's a massive gun. Well, that's a German 88, which was wow. an excellent anti tank gun. I mean, the main thing about the elephant was the gun, you could find it on other tanks, but you could not find the same level of armor on the other tanks. Unfortunately, if you got around behind it, you could do stuff to it. Uh, if you dropped bombs on top of it, it was mm -hmm. bad. If you artillery struck it, so basically, they wheeled it out at Kursk. Um, it was awesome at killing T-34s as they came zooming up, and then they kept zooming up and going around behind it and beside it, and their oh. prepared positions fell apart. Yeah, And it kind of shows the logic that the whole point of a tank is, is mobility. Mo mobile artillery. Right. You get so obsessed with survivability that it starts being not mobile, and you defeat your purpose somewhat. Still, it is a spectacularly heavy-armored and spectacularly ugly tank. Kursk is the last major act of the Russian offensive. At the start of the offensive, they tear into Russia in 41. Yeah. Summer of 41. Uh -huh. And their plan is just to slaughter Russia's left, right, and center. Their tank corps have just slaughtered Poland left, right, and center. Yeah, in Blitzkrieg. And Blitzkrieg. They're laughing. They drive into... Well, Blitzkrieg was basically made possible by the mobility of their armor, right? Yeah, like... and airplanes. Yeah. Right. You combine the two, it's ugly. Blitzkrieg means lightning, lightning war. war. Yeah. And is the foundation of much heavy metal music. The problem is they tear into Russia and they are surprised and horrified to find the T-34, which is uh, the Russian medium tank, which is awesome. Oh, yeah? It's fast, wide tracks, and a good gun on it. And most people realize the Blitzkrieg thing, based entirely on the Germans being awesomely organized. Their tanks at the time, kind of crap. Right? Hmm. Really? Because the Panzers have a much better reputation than yeah, that. Because the, the late war Panzers are being pushed, in people's thoughts, pushed to the early war. Like the Panzer 1, 2, just have, the 1 has your machine guns. The 2 has like a very light, like 27 centimeter gun or 27 millimeter gun, right? Yeah. They're anti-infantry anti tanks. The Panzer 3 is okay, but it's not spectacular in any ways. What's making the difference is how well they're using them. Right. And like, for instance, the French, like, there's your... Wargaming, right? When they invaded France, France should have won because the French tanks were practically invulnerable to German tanks one-on-one. -on -one. Right. right. But the fact that the Germans knew how to drive tanks and organize them meant that they kicked ass because the French separated their tanks all over the place. And again, it was the right. German tanks swarming the much better tanks. So the wep oh, weaponry uh, inferior tactically. Ex vastly, vastly superior. superior. Right. What was Porsche's terrible secret? He was fixated on air-cooled engines for tanks and the wrong kind of torsion bars. Torsion bars? Yep. I didn't know what that means. Little things that uh, hold the wheels together across the span of the tank so they don't snap. Like axles? Yeah. Right, the little, and the support. So well, those sounds like good things for tanks. If um, yeah, but he was obsessed with really high-performance ones that never worked properly. And it shows that it's always bad to be slightly crazy and be buddies with the really crazy guy in charge. Oh, because uh, everybody else in German tank division is like, yeah, no, maybe liquid cooled would be good because you know it's a tank, and like 
Tanks were hot. And then he'd walk in the office and go, who is hitting his buddy? And they would go, fine, air cooled. <laughs> wow. Well, what do you have against water cooling? It was just wasn't sex. It wasn't high performance, right? Water right. cooled and all that stuff was just low. Because he's Porsche. Like, he was Porsche. He's he was, Ferdinand Porsche. He was into huge horsepower, right? And it was great, except it caught fire every 15 minutes. Like I said, they tear into Russia, find out that the Russians actually built a decent tank. Ironically, because who worked on work building tanks together in the early 30s? The Germans and the Russians. Mm. That's why they're, they're, they had a little joint project, and surprisingly, the Russians took notes. But you were talking earlier, you were talking about how the T-34 was uh, an super unexpected awesome. yes. yeah, turn of events. T-34, super awesome, nice and sloped armor, right? So shots ricochet off it without it having hugely heavy armor. Mm-hmm. Nice wide tracks for driving around in mud and snow. Really reliable engine. And a fairly good gun, right? Because that's the weird thing about tanks. Tank is not just the vehicle. Any good tank is a combination of a good vehicle and a really good gun. Like a happy medium. Yes. There's lots of combination of tanks that were pretty good vehicles and had fantastic guns, like the Sherman tank to start with. Right. Like they put in like six different guns over the course of two years. But anyway, the Germans run into the T-34s. They still kick their ass because they're being driven around in circles by drunk farmers. (laughs) They're just being used badly, right? So the Germans still overrun everything. But... Their tankers are smart and go, wow, if they'd use these properly, we'd all be dead, right? So they freak out. Fall of 41, they basically ship back a T-34, drop it in front of the German tank industry and go, up, make us one. They frantically, um, and again, so this is the tales of German super science, right? They mm-hmm. get down to brass tacks six months later, spring of 42, they're ready to prototype. What they've learned from the T-34, they get there with the two candidates they have for the production model. They still don't have turrets. They just have dummy turrets on top. Dummy turrets? Which are the same weight as what they think the turret will weigh. So oh, okay. the vehicle performs properly, but no gun or anything. Or, and it doesn't rotate. It's not a working exactly. turret. D- dummy turrets are operated by... Uh... Conservative voters? <laughs> Luckily, they have a crane at the <laughs> test yard because neither prototype can drive off the back of the train car by itself. The other good reason why I have the crane is because... The Porsche design could not turn all the way around at the end of its straight run. They had to go take the crane, pick it up, turn it around so it could drive back. Uh It's a little embarrassing. And they were a little fuzzy on the cross-country data because the Porsche engines caught fire six times during the demonstration. Hmm. So they had to kind of imagine how it was going to drive for a long period of time. Uh But that eventually led to the Tiger heavy tank, the Panther medium tank which was full of awesome, although the Panther engine did tend to catch fire a lot. (laughs) And a lot of these problems were, there was guys who were going, this is bad, right? We need to iron this stuff out. And it was always, buddies with Hitler? (laughs) I am. It was the essence of this very high-tech, cutting-edge answer to a problem, which is cool and sexy on the drawing board. In practice, not great. Porsche would have been one of those guys you don't want to do a group project with because he has no ability to self-criticize. Yes. He doesn't have the ability to examine (laughs) his own faults and, like, maybe go, hey, there might be a better way to do this. He'd be that guy, right? That guy that you're like, that guy's such a fucking tool, man. He's the George Lucas of making tanks. (laughs) He has no – it's all yes men and even even the people, like, listening to him. Oh, he's a genius, so whatever he says. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the rest of the guys are like – Wow, this T-34, it's light and fast. This is awesome. Porsche walks in. Yeah, I've been talking to Hitler. We like this whole, like, tank the size of an office building idea. <laughs> well, that Never leads mind. me to something I saw in this book. The mouse. My tank is fight. 
My Tank is Deranged fight. Inventions of World War Two. Yeah. By okay. Zach Parsons. All right, that sounds pretty cool. Named after the name sounds kind of familiar, doesn't named it? Named after one of the lines in the Darks of Hillside Thicket song "My Tank," which we'll be hearing during the intermission. Nice. Um, the yes, the mouse, and also the Land, Land Cruiser P fifteen hundred monster. And you know who was responsible? Does it say? Krupp. Krupp. And the mouse. mouse oh, was, the I mouse think. was Porsche. Yep. Okay. So these are like the biggest and most hysterically non-useful tanks. Yeah. In the yeah. Universe, right. Um, yeah, if you look at, you know, it's the weird things that trips up tank use sometimes. So the Ferdinand, right, the elephant, awesome, super heavy. Uh, they had to leave them all behind at Kursk because there's no way to tow them away, right? Right. You know, you lose. They're too huge. They're too huge and too, too heavy. heavy. And none of the vehicles you've made for recovering your tanks to quickly hurry them back behind lines and fix them can handle them. Right. right. So you spend all this money, all this time, make your super tank, and then you leave it laying there for the Russians to pee on. So tell us and about now this. it's a playground. Yeah. Actually, of all of them, only one survived from that battle and one survived from a battle in North Africa. When I was researching these, somebody asked uh, why they decided to make these huge tanks that never worked and then also uh, why they ended up not working. The thought behind it was that they would follow the same evolution as uh, naval ships, which Mm -hmm. was you started off with fairly small ones, and then you would build them bigger and bigger in order to get thicker and thicker armor and mount bigger and bigger guns, uh, eventually to the battleship. Uh, And then the reason why that didn't work is because a uh, a naval ship uh, can displace its mass three-dimensionally into the water, not just below it, but to the sides because of its shape and it's in the water, right? Right, yeah, okay. Whereas a tank can only put its mass on a two-dimensional surface, the, the bottom of the, ta- of the treads on, the, on the, that. And so you get to a point where it's so heavy that it just can't even move and it will crush anything beneath it. Yeah. Which is why these never worked and were and, never even built. And you can't ignore the crazy factor. Because by nineteen, yeah. because that land battleship thing was abandoned by everybody by about nineteen twenty or so, right? Which is fifteen guns on the tank, and then it became down to uh, one really good one. Right? <laughs> Whereas the the Hitler factor meant that in some places this idea was kept up far past its prime. The mouse, the Land Cruiser is really crazy. The mouse is more possible of a vehicle you might have possibly seen someday, right? They, um, they actually built two, didn't they? Yep. Yeah. And what what was the uh, what was the thing about the mouse? Why was it kind of nutty? Um, it was just a super heavy tank, right? But not crazy. Right? Wait, wait, hold on a sec. So it was ten they, meters long and weighed one hundred eighty eight tons and had a yeah. crew of six. They they built a tank that weighs one hundred eighty eight tons and they called it the mouse. Yeah, because Nazis have a sense of humor. <laughs> oh, th- that's the first thing I think of when I think of Nazis is how humorous they are. <laughs> what a, what a, what a, what a, what a fun little. Maybe it was a response to the elephant. Uh, yes, is it just? That's the irony. Because elephants yeah. are afraid of mice? Yeah. Oh, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just, again, it's it's a tank has to move. A tank has to drive over dirt, right? Yeah. It's just, it, this is, and this is, it's proof of the crazy, right? Because the amount of time spent even prototyping this thing, what could have gone into a better medium tank or a better, you know, Panzerfaust for infantry to use right. or stuff like that, yeah. right? No, it's always, if you're going to pick a war, try and fight against crazy people because they make bad mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Errors in judgment. So by comparison to the mouse, uh, we'll compare the mouse, which actually had two built. uh, The Land Cruiser P-1500 Monster, which they never built, was 42 meters long. So the mouse was one quarter of the length and was still a super heavy tank. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, the Land Cruiser is basically steampunk, right? Like it never, yeah. it never could have been pro- even prototyped, right? It's just, it's just fantasy written in a notebook, right? Yeah. The mouse, like I said, the mouse. You know, they were making real tanks and stuff. I mean, the Germans did super cool stuff when they weren't doing this crazy stuff, like their anti-aircraft tank, super awesome, right? Where they just took a normal tank, put on a super fast turret and a quad anti-aircraft gun. That was so cool. You could drive with the tanks, keep up with them chew up attacking aircraft super useful right right because aircraft are the tanks tanks. the tanks worst enemy especially especially when the germans lost all air superiority for the last third of the war well who is this hobart guy yeah who's hobart why was he so funny an engineer royal engineer (laughs) of the united kingdom of the united kingdom he was just a guy who was tasked with the job of Think of all the stuff we're going to need to do when we invade Europe. Stick it on a tank. And what was cool about him is that he didn't try and make demand a whole new machine. He just had right. tanks laying around, ripped their turrets off, had his boys come up, like I said, with a bridge section on them or a thing to cut down hedgerows. Or that was the a tank to cut down hedgerows? Yeah, because they were deadly. Right. I could totally use a gardener. Yep. Are they, can we, uh... Especially if you had Nazi snipers in your garden. It would be perfect. Right. <laughs> nice. So there's the crocodile, yep. which was the flamethrowing yep. tank. There was the Centaur bulldozer, a Cromwell tank with a turret removed and fitted with a simple winch-operated bulldozer blade. Unlike a conventional bulldozer, would also be able to would also be fast enough to keep up with the tank formations. Probably the best use of the Churchill tank because it was kind of crap. The Rhino tank, which was. Um, Oh, that's the one uh, shaped like a nose. <laughs> that was actually the hedgerow. That's the rhinoplasty tank. Fitted with the recycled check hedgehog to form a hedge clipper. And the crab. The crab. Uh, that's a tank that went sideways? Nope. Tank that blew up mines. <laughs> oh. It had flails at the front, oh, like, a, they like a bunch a of chains at the front that rotated. Why did they call that the crab? Because it looked like it had claws up front that were going smash, smash, smash. Yep. It was, oh, it was like a Warhammer 40K unit. I mean, I've seen the <laughs> flail one. I've seen the flail one. Yeah, that's I'm, it. I never thought to myself, that looks exactly there's, like a crab. There's the crab right there. Yeah. Chains with balls on them that would basically pummel the ground in front of the tank. Yeah, why didn't they call it the Dominatrix? Ooh. Ooh where were been, you? Yeah. <laughs> in the naming department? <laughs> ah, man, I would have ruled. I would have ruled in the tank naming division. And the worst tank, according to the information that I have, is... The Valiant A-38, a British tank. Its moment of glory was a trial of its suspension by the fighting vehicle proving establishment at Chertsey in May 1945. The first day gave minor problems and was abandoned after a mere 13 miles of easy on-road driving. However, the driver was already exhausted by this time, finding that the steering levers needed his full weight to actuate and the seat, foot brake, and gear lever all carried risk of physical injury in using them. The officer in charge decided to abandon the trials there and then, as it was impossible and unsafe to continue, and in his view, the entire project should be closed, and so it was. See, now if it had been Porsche, he would have just called his buddy Hitler, and they would have put it into production. Valuable lessons. (laughs) I love uh, the fact that you get the prototype level, and the tank itself is more dangerous than your enemy. (laughs) Well, that's that's even true of like regular tanks, like like tanks that were in the war. A lot of them, you spend like a third of your time doing upkeep on your tank. Yeah, maintenance and and, and just the, what we talked about with the rivets and the shrapnel and the heat and the spalling, smoke. Yeah, death now, traps, death so, traps. Here's what I want to know: Why did you need to paint the inside of your tank anyway? Rust. The tanks got rusty on the inside. Yeah, water comes out of your mouth. Oh. Yep. Moisture. 
Doesn't he look pretty? He wasn't nicely painted. Wait, it, was, wait. <laughs> it was that hospital green. Wait, it wasn't fuchsia? Exactly. There was no... Put up a couple of Donald throw- Sutherland's tank was painted fuchsia in Kelly's hair. No, put up some throw pillows. Yeah, exactly. One of the walls is painted with a nice accent color. No cornflower blue. Interior conditions, there's a good example between Russian and American tanks. So Russian tanks have uh, are so tight, literally 5'10 was the maximum height you were allowed to be to be a tanker crew. Ooh. Oh. And we're talking the modern era. We're talking about the T-72 era. Um, once Americans and Russians got to be buddy buddies and the Russians got to see like the inside of an M1, they're like, what? Where's the swimming pool? Right? Like, <laughs> NATO tanks are huge in crew space compared to uh, Warsaw Pact tanks, which were just basically pack the guys in as tight as possible, use the rest of the space for guns. They should have uh, called their tanks the sardine. Yeah. And there is a slang term in the Canadian military, zipperhead. It's not a racial slur. It's the tank crew often wouldn't wear helmets and they would get banged around in their heads so much in the inside of the tank that they always had gashes stitches, stitches. Yeah, yeah. stitches all over their heads <laughs> that's what they called zipper heads okay i like that So all of our conversation up to now has taken us up to basically the end of World War II. What happened after World War II? No, the Americans do not become gods of tanking until the M1A1 Abrams. Which is still in service? Still in service. It's now the M2A1, I believe, right? But it's modernized even further. But that was their first super tank, super armored, super cool guns, super computer guided. I mean, to give you an idea of World War II, in the movies, World War II movies, you see the tanks driving around and shooting. They never did that, really. Because as soon as you moved, the gun barrel went everywhere. Oh, it jostled. Right? Jostled. You couldn't mm. hit. Like sometimes you would fire to effect like when you were trying to hit a hillside. Right? Didn't they have gyroscopes or some such business? <sighs> again, some were stabilized, but I mean it's not – again, it was barely moving, right? I mean most of the right. stabilization helped when you fired the gun. It would settle the gun back down faster, right? Oh, okay. But you could not drive and hit anything except blind luck usually, right? Whereas modern tanks, you can drive at 40, 50 miles an hour. And hit something dead center still, right? 
laser guided gyro, right. super gyro stabilization, the whole full meal deal. Which is a and, massive advantage over oh, the tanks that can't. Yeah, yeah, huge, right? And also mobility, right? So you're dealing with tanks that are as heavy as the German super heavy, like the King Tigers and stuff, and yet they do 60 kilometers an hour and cross country. So you can get someplace fast. The problem with modern tanks still a problem is that they're they're binary right which means mm-hmm. your tank is either perfect and strong and invulnerable or it gets punctured and it's dead yeah there's no kind of happy movie. there's no happy in movies and especially in games it's oh no i've lost 50 hit points oh no right my tank is slowing down oh no my gun doesn't shoot as fast right. in real life it's boom right or you're fine which was proven in the first gulf war because the iraqis lacked any weapon tank weapon that could puncture an m1 head-on <laughs> like literally Americans could have lined up all their M1s hull to hull and just driven in a line into Iraq and there's nothing they could have done about it. So like in World War II, you know, on the side of the planes, there's little flags for the enemy planes you shot down. Mm-hmm. The tanker version is you draw a black line around your gun barrel. Oh. So you come back with five or six from about five or six lines on your barrel. You're a dude, right? But yeah, your, your cog just got yeah. three times the size. Yeah. American M1s were coming back with so many kill rings that the barrel was just black for six feet, right, of the barrel. That's cheating. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that just... No, just makes one. That's, That's right. one yeah. big No, no, one. if you looked really close, oh, they, okay. they had lines in between them. Right? <laughs> Save but, a but millimeter. Their, yeah, their kill ratios were horrendous. They're going to have to start chipping up, as it were. Yeah. Switch to a different color to represent, like, tens. That's right. Yeah, but Then exactly. they'd be kind of rainbow tanks. Might no, be, I'd be fine with that. Maybe that would make people stop fighting so much. Or maybe it would violate their don't ask, don't tell policy. <laughs> Unfortunately, it all breaks down tragically when the enemy stops driving easily breakable tanks at you and instead starts planting really big bombs under the road mm-hmm. and RPGs where they spend 100 bucks on the RPG and they kill your $50 million tank, which is the problem with asymmetric warfare. Most main battle tanks, modern tanks, were meant to fight the Russians and right. vice versa, right? NATO versus Warsaw Pact. Right. The big brawl that never happened. They weren't playing by the same rules, you're saying? That's right. Now now those wacky third worlders refuse to build 30,000 tanks at a time and drive at us. Instead, they make giant bombs under the road and, like right. I said, RPGs. So the big thing has gone from super awesome hitting power and super awesome gun to uh, how do we stay alive against these crappy hillbilly weapons. So even the M1, which had super good armor versus high-velocity shells is now being rearmored to handle slow-moving RPGs, which are super deadly. It kills you by detonating on your hull and using a shape charge to punch through. Yeah. Right. On one of my favorite websites, badassoftheweek.com, there's a story about an Israeli soldier during the, was it the Hundred Days War? The one where they six invaded days. the Six-Day War? The one where they, the tanks came down from Syria? Yep. There, there was this one guy who held off an entire Syrian tank division with one tank. He jumped in it and drove up and down this ridge for like 48 straight hours and held off an entire tank division all by himself. He's pretty awesome. Yep. Although there is a ironic rumored tie-in between those two states because the rumor is who taught the Israelis how to be super awesome tankers. That's him. Zvika Greengold. Yep. This is uh, this is definitely one of the more impressive ones because I think he got shot a bunch of times too and he just kept going and that when they finally the Syrian tank division fell back. He kind of like collapsed and was like carried to a hospital. And he, yeah, he was an impressive dude. This guy is yep. Zvika Greengold. And he was using British Centurion tanks, which makes him even braver. <laughs> There's a series called tank overhaul. Yes. 
When the only one I managed to watch Is was like pimp, the Centurion one. It's yeah. uh, Resurrect My Dead Tank. Dude, we heard you like turrets, so we put a turret on your turret. <laughs> In the news. <laughs> tank force fields? Tank force fields. How does that work? Basically, the problem from a rocket propel grenade is it gets to your tank, yep. sticks to it, and then detonates and blasts that shape charge. So the entire thing you want to do is make it detonate uh, someplace the hell away from you. Um, the first way they try and counter it but is actually, ironically enough, putting little bombs on the outside of the tank. Mm-hmm. Right? So that when it hits, it hits and then the bomb blows up and blasts it away before it can do the contact and explosion. Um, you fight a bomb with another bomb. bomb. And it must be very noisy inside the tank. Oh. That's all I'm saying. Be like twice as noisy as a Metallica concert. Public service announcement. When you're driving a tank, wear earplugs. At all times. The next more sexy science fiction idea is to create a charged energy field around the tank, which would detonate the uh, RPG on its approach to the side of your tank. This is an awesome idea. It Mm. is. Does it work? How does it work? It's magnetic fields, basically, right? You're trying to generate enough magnetic power to either detonate the charge or deflect a bullet. Okay. Or cause a deviation in the path of the incoming thing. Uh, the problem is you can't generate that much power all the time. So the, your computer system basically has to say, uh, thing coming, right. zorp. Okay. Right. Ooh, I wonder if it actually makes the sound zorp. Probably does, actually, because yeah. it cranked up a field that strong. Would... That's what they call the zorp field. Zorp field. <laughs> does everybody's hair inside the tank stand up on end when it gets used? <laughs> but all your fillings come flying up once <laughs> Uh, so, okay, th- that's the theory. Theoretically, yep. it'll create a magnetic field that will detonate. Now, do they have something that works? The Tessie Israelis are big on it. The British are big on it, right? Basically, anybody who's getting sick and tired of being blown up mm-hmm. by uh, asymmetrical warfare is working on it, except the Americans who are too tough to care. You know, they have more money than God. It helps. Um, the other systems being experimented are a small laser weapon, right? Yeah. You have a small rapid-firing laser mounted on a small dome on top of the tank. And it would basically just go. Bzz, bzz, bzz. I think it would actually go. But again, you can imagine that would be pretty super high techy. It'd be, um, be like those uh, the anti missile systems on ships, yeah, right? With yeah, the, uh, right. Like, because all things come around now, tanks are being like ships again. Again, uh, closing the circle. There we go. Land the, uh, the land ship is back, baby. Welcome to our land ship episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Francis started dropping concrete bombs on Libyan tanks. Concrete bombs? Yeah. Why? Three, because they don't want to cause civilian casualties. Of course, you drop a bomb on a tank, and it goes kaboom, right. and shrapnel, and, ex- and just the explosive force goes everywhere around it. So instead, they're dropping these 300-kilogram concrete bombs. Just for taking out tanks? Just for taking out tanks, yeah. They so still the- have all the laser guidance and all the computer stuff in it so that you don't just drop it as a dumb bomb. They're not just dropping a weight. It's got, like, controls on it, so it targets in on the tank and hits mm. it. May 18, 1995, Sean Timothy Nelson, a U.S. Army veteran and unemployed plumber, all right. had some neck and back problems. His plumbing equipment was stolen from his truck. He had no income, his utilities had been cut off, and his house was in foreclosure. His living girlfriend died of a drug overdose, so he decided to break into the National Guard Armory in San Diego. Was he a National Guardsman? No, no. Was he a former tank operator? He was an Army veteran. And worse, a methamphetamine veteran. Ah, Nobody ever does anything crazy on meth. (laughs) That's really strange. So employees at the Armory were working late and left the gate open. The vehicle... (laughs) What? The vehicle yard was completely deserted. Nelson likely used a crowbar to break open the tank hatches. The tanks did not require an ignition key to start the engine since they used a push button. 
The first two tanks he broke into would not start. Then, as Nelson lowered himself into the third tank, a 57-ton M60 Patton, he was finally noticed by a guardsman who approached the tank, but he was able to start the vehicle, and uh, with little chance of stopping him, the guardsman rushed to a phone and called the police. Now, you've all seen this on the I like how on the TV and the YouTube. Yes, absolutely. Who hasn't seen this? But I like how they didn't think it needed to be kept under lock and key. Well, the ammunition was kept in another building. Right. So he wasn't able to do any firing. A 23-minute televised chase through the streets of San Diego. The tank had a top speed of 30 miles per hour, making the chase slow compared to police chases normally. Uh, the 57-ton tank easily plowed through road signs, traffic lights, and crushed a van against a recreational vehicle, then plowed through the RV. He even attempted to knock down a bridge by running into the supports, but gave up after he failed to topple it with the first few hits. He eventually became caught on a concrete median as he attempted to cross into the oncoming traffic. Four police officers climbed onto the tank, one of them gunnery sergeant at the time with the Marine Corps Reserve, and he was able to open the hatch. The officers ordered Nelson to surrender, but he had said nothing and began lurching the tank back and forth in an attempt to free it from the medium. He was finally shot by one of the officers uh, leaning in. Are tanks that easy to drive that you can kind of sort of yeah. intuitively know how to do it? Remember Armors who? from... Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. It's, it's a lever system. You got your left, your right, forward. Are you sure you're not thinking of Battlezone? <laughs> Battle Same <zone>? system, actually. <laughs> I totally want to go on a tank rampage now. I, the only thing that's been stopping me is I thought it would be too technical for me to grasp. After Nelson's theft of the tank, security was tightened <laughs> at the armory. Thank goodness. Tightened, as well, in, they shut the gate. That's right. <laughs> well, they leave it loose in case those kids from Red Dawn need to get a tank. That's All right. right. I've always kept my Red Dawn plan of action in my back pocket. We all do it. That, and then it can, because it can easily be adapted to your zombie plan. Right. They go uh, kind of hand in hand. Yeah. Cuban paratroopers or, and or zombies. Right. It works. Actually, I hear they're remaking Red Dawn. Yes, because that's what the world needs. I want to mention, we've mentioned a little bit... Uh, Martin and I, lovingly, Battlefield 1942, which to me was one of the first video games that really managed to get kind of the role of tanks in a game. No, where no, there go was further. It, it took love it, and made it a game. I, I agree with you on that. But the great thing about it was I, I, don't, I don't know a lot about this kind of stuff, so when I was playing the game, I started learning the differences between the two tanks. I found out what a tank destroyer was and the light yep. tank and the heavy tank, and I learned uh, firsthand uh, how bad planes could mess up tanks if you didn't deal with them right away. Yep. Uh, just a really amazing, great game. You should, you should play World of Tanks then, because it's like that okay. on steroids. Right? So World of Tanks is the new, that's the new tank MMO. And tank MMO, right. But it does, it did have the funniest read-a-book moment. We all know how a normal role-playing game, you pick a fighter, and then you learn to be like a second-level fighter. Right. And then in World of Tanks, you pick a light tank, and then you fight in it a lot and get experience points, and then move up to a better light tank, and then to a medium tank, sure. and eventually get to be the super heavy you can be a mouse actually they even put the mouse in the game what's the uh, top of the food chain the m1a1 um no it stops in 1950 oh okay so it's world of tanks world of world of world of the good old days of tanks (laughs) yeah like world of classic yes exactly then there's two types of people play it there's the normal mmo kids and then there's the tank people who play the game Mm. so the tank people are complaining like i shouldn't have gotten a ricochet off that that's clearly a sherman armor clearly handle that and then it's the other kids are like get a kv which was a russian heavy first heavy tank so nicely armored tank a uh, crap gun on it so the russian armor answer is do we have any big guns lying around it's like well we have this field artillery piece lying here it's like <laughs> put it on the tank so you end up with a tank with a sensible turret picture that in your head uh, make one four times taller 
a giant metal box on top of this field artillery piece. Oh, nice. On okay. top of the same chassis. Sure. So in World of Tanks, that's just a turret upgrade, right, to go from the KV-1 to KV-2. Some kid had just gone and was like, I love this tank, but this turret is so stupid. What kind of game designer would put a turret like this on a tank? It's dumb. It's like, uh, read a it's, book. It's, <laughs> right. it's real. Like, yeah. It should be noted to anybody hearing about this and thinking, oh, that sounds interesting, but MMOs are expensive. World of Tanks is freemium. Yep. Which means it's free to play, and then you can choose to buy upgrades if you want. Oh, that's even better than that old vector game, Battlezone. Yes. Well, then let's talk about movies. We got—I guess we got to talk about Tank Girl. Yes, we do. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the room. <laughs> I tried to watch it uh, as recently, like maybe six months ago. It's terrible. Couldn't get through it. It's like I've, I saw it when it originally came out. And I watched it all the way through then. Yeah, but I didn't remember anything, remember anything about and it, so I tried time, to watch it again. A, I was a pretty, uh, pretty dedicated Lori Petty fan, even mm-hmm. though she hadn't done much, but I thought she was pretty cool and then that just was an abomination. I'm quite fond of the movie, but I can't argue that it's a good movie. The, the impressive you know? part now, looking back at it, is if you see it recently, is that Naomi Watts, of course, <sighs> is in it, right? As, a, as Jet Girl. I was in love with her the instant she hit that screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And of course... She looks better as a brunette. Yeah, I, I thought it was an abomination. There were all those sort of things that I thought that I should have liked that I despised. Which is too bad, because I love the comic book. Yeah. Yes. It's just yeah. that the story doesn't really... Translate. Do There's anything. not really a story like, yeah. in the Tank Girl comic books. Yeah. It's just a bunch of random crap that happens. Yeah, and right. in the Tank Girl comic books, it's like it's punk and irreverent, and you know, it's funny. Like it's almost like pseudo comedy. Like it's mm-hmm. very Calvin and Hobbes, right? And it, they it, they didn't get any of that in the movie. Like it just didn't translate. I can't argue with any of that. Yeah, but I still am very fond of the movie. Alan Martin and Jamie Hewlett have spoken poorly of their experiences in creating the film, calling it a bit of a sore point for them. <laughs> Hewlett said the script was lousy. Me and Alan kept rewriting it and putting Grange Hill jokes and Benny Hill jokes in, and they obviously weren't getting it. They forgot to film about ten major scenes, so we had to animate them. It was a horrible experience. <laughs> that explains the animation just showing up. Yeah, I was going to say. That's right. How can, now, it's a shame he was I'm, holding back there, though. I'm, I'm in film production. How do you forget to film <laughs> 10 scenes? Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Here's, they didn't forget. They ran out of money, and animating them were way, was like a bunch of Koreans, was way cheaper than actually shooting the scenes. You can't forget to shoot 10 <laughs> scenes. It's impossible. Dude. Nobody is that ridiculous. Dude, what are we going to do today? I don't know. We've done that movie, aren't we? I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're done. Did we, did we rewrite that scene? Maybe they just thought they did because the movie was so terrible. We found yeah, it. No, they just they're, called it. They were blocking out what was happening as it was happening. Through this. Tank, 1984, James Garner, and Jenny Harrison, who you may remember from Three's Company, as Cindy Snow. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the cousin. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. Has anyone seen him but me? Oh, I've seen it. Not in the theater, though. So I may have missed some of the nuances. Uh, basically, James Garner and his family moves into this town, or moves into this onto this army base that's next to this hick town that is controlled by the corrupt police. So corrupt, in fact, the first time that you meet James Cromwell, the deputy, he is pimping his uh, his one prostitute, which is Jenny Harrison. Okay. To the other people in the bar. All right. It's a one whore town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the whore is pimped by the police. Yep. And eventually, and, you know, James Garner makes a statement against the deputy, so the deputy gets the police Rambo. chief involved. This is Rambo with and the tank. Uh, it, well, it's more like the positive matter universe son. of that guy's tank rage rampage we just saw. Yeah. yeah. It's what if a hero did it. <laughs> so they lock up his kid and uh, send him to the, the prison yard. So James Garner 
you know, he tries to, he gives them like $10,000 and he just takes it and says, no, we're going to keep him for a year instead of three years. And eventually, you know, James Garner's had enough. He gets inside of his tank, his own personal Sherman tank. He just owns a Sherman tank. Yeah. Okay. okay. And uh, he breaks everyone out of the Can prison yard. Can civilians do that in the States? I have a scary story about civilian <laughs> tanks. There's a happy ending. Uh, that's something. The best part was um, the Posse Comitatus line. Posse Comitatus is the, um, an act of Congress uh, spe- specifically precludes the U.S. Army from enforcing civilian law outside of the military reservation. Okay. So the sheriff comes to the army base and says to the army commander, this guy's got this tank. You've got to deal with it. Yeah. And he's like, no, the James Garner gave his resignation. It's his own tank. We can't, we can't get involved because yeah, it's posy yeah. comitatus. And the sheriff Buelton says, did you call me a pussy communist? Yes. yes. And that's <laughs> pretty much the funniest line in the entire movie. That's it. Okay. Oh, yeah. no. I watched the A team. With the tank falling through the air Yeah, with the tank. That's the one. That's the A-team I'm talking about. Uh, in which they are in a plane, which has a tank in it. Yep. The plane gets shot and explodes. I believe it explodes. I think so. Everything explodes. But it's okay, because they've moved into the tank. Here's what you can say about that A-team movie. You just say it explodes, because pretty much everything explodes <laughs> at one point in time. And if you got, if you talk about the one thing that didn't explode, I think everybody else... Remember that yeah, time he was it. having that drink that exploded? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> it was Starbucks. It exploded. The tank is falling as parachutes, but then mm-hmm. parachutes get shot. Of course, like yeah. they do. So then they have to steer by shooting the gun. Correct. Shooting so in space. the cannon. Yeah, as zero, they're falling. In, in zero G? So they maneuver themselves over over water and then crash land in a lake and then yeah they they and the tank, solution and the lake. tanks made of vibranium because that absorbs the impact no no they they uh, they they tore it around so that they're they facing shot the, down and they didn't yeah didn't they shoot the water just before they hit to break the surface tension oh, that's like yeah. four different urban myths all combined <laughs> into the same action sequence hey MythBusters we've got a show for you. <laughs> I would love to see the MythBusters do this. Well, they've already done the breaking up the waters, you fall into it, right? Yeah. And they've done jumping, jumping up in an elevator. Jumping up in an elevator, right? So same. What is the terminal velocity of a tank? I'm pretty sure you can get close to mock in a tank. Probably. So, well, the A-Team, I actually was pleasantly surprised. I didn't expect it to be any good, and I enjoyed it. That's the best way to go see a movie. I was like that with The Matrix. And then there's Kelly's Heroes. Yay. Yeah, great movie. Finest Canadian movie ever starring donald sutherland yeah and and some other and people clint eastwood and oh. telly savalas and don rickles nice uh rickles did a lot more movies oh did he yeah sutherland yeah. was great in that movie yes yeah was he was. what's it about i haven't seen it in ages but i do he's the one thing that stands out in my memory of the film yeah He's, what it is is a couple of American soldiers in World War II in 19, uh, September 1944, so near the end of the war, discover secret information after killing a German Tiger tank that there is a bank nearby with 14,000 gold bars, which is worth, at that time, $16 million. I tried to look up what that was worth in, quote, today's dollars, and of course that's very difficult, but if you just go by GDP, that's worth 10 times as much. So you're looking at $160 million of gold. Gold prices have skyrocketed recently, so if you do the math just based on how much gold it is, we're, you're looking at like almost a billion dollars. But anyway, so a lot of money, and much like in the sort of remake, uh, Three Kings, they decide, well, why don't we just go get this gold? 
and they set off, and they're kind of an, an oddball group of guys. Wait. Donald Sutherland's Tank Commander character is a total beatnik. A movie about oddball characters succeeding yeah. in the face of all <laughs> adversity? Exactly. Well, what makes Kelly's better than Three Kings is because Kelly's shows how your plan blossoms out. Yes. Right? So it's like you and a couple dudes decide, we're going to steal some gold. By the time you talk to the dude who has to get you permission to go, and the guy you need a tank to guard you, yeah. your plan starts involving like 15, 20 so Towards the end of the movie, everyone gets 20 cents. And, uh, <laughs> no, and keeping uh, it secret's the problem. I don't want to... Sp- the, the ending the, the ending standoff and then yeah. the decision is so good, I don't yeah. want to spoil it, so. so watch it, but it's really good. And yeah. it's funny, but not it's not a comedy. It's but cynical it, funny. It's cynical funny. Yeah. Uh, it's, ma- it's MASH style funny. I think the best way yeah. to describe it is it's it's almost exactly like if you set up this concept as a role-playing game adventure of you're all a bunch of different uh, military guys. and Can I be the, the thief? Well, you all kind of are thieves, but yeah. Can I be uh, the wizard? Your job is to to successfully complete this adventure. You have to get the gold out of that bank without getting caught by your superiors right. or the Nazis. And goes through that way. And you're all, some of them are very anachronistic. Like we said, Donald Sutherland's character is like a, straight out of the 1960s beatnik. Oh, talking about yeah, negative totally. waves, man. <laughs> there you go with your negative he's, waves again, dude. He's totally a hippie. Yeah. It's hilarious. He's got the big beard and everything. Yeah, like, there's there's no way they would allow him to. Oh, to act or look or be the way he is in that movie, for sure. Yep. The Beast. Should we the talk beast. about The Beast? Yes. Um, short but sweet, Russian tank crew, Afghanistan in the dreadful 80s. I heard they it's get, quite good. It's quite good, and it's kind of topical now because it's the same asymmetrical warfare problem the Americans are having. So what, when did this come out? Because I don't remember ever hearing about this, but it seems like the kind of movie I would love to see. 1988, and it had the creepy Baldwin brother in it. Uh, all of them? The blonde, greasy <laughs> Stephen. Stephen, the blonde, greasy one. They are a Russian tank crew meant sent out to pacify villages. Things go wrong. They get sa- separated from the platoon due to mechanical problems. And basically, they it's them trying to hump their way across a large portion of Afghanistan while not being killed by indigenous people mm-hmm. and cutting various deals with various warlords to make it across. Um, is quite brutal. It opens with an interrogation scene where you put the villager... Uh, lay him down in front of your tank tread and drive slowly forward as you ask questions. And yeah, I don't think the Russians in Afghanistan were particularly interested in uh, human rights. Hearts and minds? Yeah. No, hearts and minds were not it. But um, yeah, the West is waterboarding in a whole new yeah. perspective on waterboarding. But yeah, the Western allies not doing too much better with that accidental machine gunning you when you drive by too fast, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it's a good tank movie because they spend a lot of time in the the Russian T-62 tank. You can see the insides of it, and it's claustrophobic yeah. and hideous. Good times. Yep. So it's a good war movie, excellent tank movie, and a very good political movie. I've got the opposite of that, which is a terrible tank movie, a terrible war movie, and a terrible political movie. Best defense that yes, there Eddie you go. Murphy, oh, man. That yep. Eddie Murphy atrocity from the same era as the Beast. I haven't yep. even heard of this one. Yes, sorry, Sigourney Weaver. And who else was in it? What's his name? Kate Capshaw. Um, no, Sigourney Weaver's not in it. Dudley Moore. Uh, Dudley Moore. Moore. That's yeah. it. it was Dudley Moore and, and Ed uh, Eddie Murphy. But yeah, it was supposed to be a powerhouse comedy, though. Like, it was yeah. going to bring... And it was Eddie Murphy with these other people, and it's two separate movies for all intents and purposes. Yeah, well, right? exactly. Dudley Moore plays, like, the defense uh, uh, contractor, designer, whatever, and then Eddie Murphy plays the tank operator who has to operate the tank that is created out of this situation that's created yeah. back on home soil best defense worst movie yeah nobody would ever use the term best 
in yes. relation to that film, except outside of the title. And it was more offensive than defensive. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I love this note on uh, Wikipedia. It was judged to be so bad that the studio reworked it and created a part for Eddie Murphy, who's at the peak of his popularity. Murphy's part was almost unconnected with the rest of the film, and his character never even came into contact with the main cast. Yeah. Bless Wikipedia. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that's why it seems like two different movies, because it was. Because, it, it, yeah, it definitely felt like two different movies. And Murphy would later joke uh, about taking on that role when he hosted Saturday Night Live that his reaction to being offered the role was... This script sucks, man. Oh, that much money? Let's go. Cartoons and comic books, The Haunted Tank. I don't know this one. Appeared in GI Combat quite a bit for like the span of like 20 years or so, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh. Forever. This is one of those old school stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did Vertigo did an updated one. So this is a tank that was possessed by a ghost? Um, no. Driven by a ghost. Um, protected by a ghost. Okay. Right. It was General Jeb Stewart. Yes. From the Civil War. And he was fated to always protect his white descendants <laughs> in times of war. Did they actually say his white descendants? They didn't say white, but the but the, the, the dude is white. Were white. That's yeah. that's why the update in the the Vertigo comic is amusing because his descendant is a black dude, right? <laughs> to which the ghost uh. is uh, somewhat perturbed, and the tank <laughs> commander is also very perturbed. Because the tank has a uh, Confederate flag on it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Protecting his descendants in time of war, and he's a cavalry dude. And he's slightly confused because initially it's a cavalry tank. So it's a cavalry division. So mm-hmm. he's like, ha ha, I'm on my horse. What are you doing in this iron thing? And, mm-hmm. But he mainly had the power to let them survive against vastly superior German armor. So their little M3 Stuart tank would fight off three tigers at a time. And, and the haunted tank recently appeared in the Batman, the Brave and the Bold episode yes. cartoon, Menace of the Madniks, which in which she jumped over a bridge one of those opening bridges the tank did yeah like i, I don't think physics would <laughs> actually the, 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 haunted, that. haunted the, tank haunted <laughs> tank the ghost had the power to make the tank way better because <laughs> like i said in real life when you're in a little m3 stewart and you bump into a tiger tank you're just dead and stuff <laughs> usually, usually over and done with. yeah and then the last item i have is who remembers who the decepticon was the name of the decepticon the brawl Brawl is correct. Oh, nice job, Joe. Well done. One of the Compaticons yep. who could form the larger robot, Bruticus. Bruticus. What type Bruticus. of tank was he? Was he a Sherman tank? Nope. No? Mm. M1. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. He was a Transformer tank. Yep. You get the Alex Trebek demeanor. You get all smug when somebody <laughs> gets it wrong. I give up. <laughs>